0: Welcome to Software Security Chat Chat 169 for the 15th of October, 2014. As you'll notice, I'm not Chester. It's John Shire again, filling in for Chester. And today, my guest is Paul Ducklin. Welcome, Paul. Hello, John. You're in
1: Chicago. I don't know whether that's more or less exciting than Dubai, which is where Chester has
0: taken himself off to, which is why he's not on the show today. Chicago is one of my favorite North American cities, and it's probably a little bit cooler than Dubai at this time of year, so I'll take it. And uh, it's Patch Tuesday in both places. Certainly is. Speaking of Patch Tuesday, nice segue, Paul. (laughs) So on the Microsoft front, we have eight bulletins.
1: Yes, there were going to be nine, in fact, and one of them didn't make the cut. If you saw the early bulletin saying there'll be nine fixes, it's not a mistake that there are only eight that actually came out.
0: Correct. And uh, so we've got a sprinkling of uh, remote code executions here this month. Now, there's there's a couple of them that I'd like to highlight. The first one being MS-14060. Oh, yes. Or a vulnerability in the Windows Olay could allow remote code execution. Um, now, this one is getting a little bit of press. I mean, it's got the fancy name Sandworm. Uh, it's been seen in the wild. There's some Russian alleged, excuse me, Russian ties to it. Uh, it's been apparently impacting the folks at NATO. Uh, can you just... Give us a little bit of a rundown on this one, and and should we be running around with our hair on fire with regards to the sandworm vulnerability?
1: No, I think you can get the asbestos hat out, John. Actually, you can't use asbestos anymore, can you? But uh, it's the one that people seem to be panicking about. It's the one that they're thinking, oh, we better fix that first. Uh, As you say, because it's got this name, sandworm. It comes from Dune, the famous science fiction series. It's got all the scariness lined up. Basically, it's a trick whereby I can send to you a file. In fact, the, the files that we've seen are PowerPoint files, and that PowerPoint file can refer to a remote INF file, which is a kind of Windows installer file, suck it in from outside, and that can actually basically cause remote code execution. Yes, you should be concerned about it, but Microsoft only gave it an important rather than a critical rating because it wasn't right at the top of their list.
0: What did we ever do before all these vulnerabilities became named things?
1: Well, we just got like MS14058, a good old font rendering bug. Fonts are rendered in the kernel in Windows, so you get remote code execution in the kernel. If you're going to worry about Sandworm, then I'd worry about this one more, because it's not just a remote code execution. It's sort of remote code execution and total elevation of privilege rolled into one.
0: Moving along, we also have some Adobe security boltons this uh, this month. Interestingly, there's, there's another Flash one out uh, this, this month covering three CVEs. And what's piqued my interest about this one is, and, and this kind of happens quite a bit with the Adobe side of the house, is the fact that it covered all platforms, meaning Windows, Macintosh, and Linux. Now, the, the
1: native Linux Flash player, the, the vulnerability is rated at a lower priority than for Windows and Macintosh. Whether that's because it's harder to exploit or simply that Adobe thinks it's less likely that anyone will bother, I can't tell you. But definitely, the as you say, the bug applies to all those three supported desktop platforms.
0: And as a reminder, those of you who do have Flash in your browsers, it's very simple on most modern browsers today to turn Flash off and have it prompt you before you actually run something. So a little bit of extra security there if you're not wishing to have flash run automatically. And finally, rounding off the patching news for this month, we have some Oracle patches coming down to us. Just a few, yes. Uh, 155, is it? Over hundreds of products. And just as a reminder, you can turn Java off in your browser, and this will not affect any of your JavaScript. It's amazing how many people still Perhaps understandably get
1: confused that, hey, if I turn off Java in my browser, then Facebook's going to break, Twitter's going to break, nakedsecurity.sophos.com is going to break. It won't because those sites actually rely on JavaScript. And of course, the flip side of that is Java, in fact, Oracle's default these days is that when you have Java, it will be installed so you can run Java applications, full-blown installed software, but it won't run in your browser.
0: Speaking of running unwanted applications, it seems that we have another candidate for the ever-growing list of large retailers being breached. Kmart and Dairy Queen are the latest two that have reported breaches. It seems like this is one of those things that's just a never-ending story. Do we have any additional details on exactly what happened at uh, these two latest retailers? John, my understanding is we don't particularly about Kmart. They're just saying, well, we've had a breach and the
1: crooks have gone away with payment card data, but we're not quite sure how much. Dairy Queen, it seems, is saying, well, actually, yes, it was down to malware known as Backoff. As you say, it's almost become just the norm that we we get, oh, another breach notification. Oh, gosh, was it only two and a half million records? Well, that'll be fine then. And that is a, a, a rather sad state of affairs, isn't it?
0: Actually, yes, it does seem that there's a little bit of breach fatigue that's settling in for the media, for the companies, for uh, the consumers themselves. you know we're hearing about this time and time again, as you say, it seems that with each coming breach, it's just, oh well, here's another one. The fact of the matter remains that you know one breach is too many, one card is too many. The thing that's worrying me about breach fatigue is that it's almost like
1: we need to have that breach fatigue because the alternative is to go back to the old days where we didn't seem to be having breaches because it was perfectly lawful to
0: sweep them under the carpet. So speaking of treating data with respect, we learned last week that the Digital Editions for ebook app slash PDF reader uh, which is used by thousands of libraries to uh, allow patrons to borrow ebooks, actually logs and reports quite a bit of information. Can you give us a bit of a rundown on this one?
1: Uh, it turns out that this new version of Adobe's e-reader is logging quite a bit of information about you. Now, you know, it's only metadata, folks. It's not perhaps the end of the world. There's your user ID, there's, a, there's a, the identifier for your device, for the specific device, what book you're reading, details about that book, and most importantly, how far you've got through each book. Now, maybe that's not a big deal that that information is being collected. Maybe it is. We can argue that separately. What was really surprising is it turned out that when Adobe called home and delivered this information into its own cloud, it didn't bother to use HTTPS. Oh, dear. How hard would it have been for them to use HTTPS, TLS, uh, and actually secure that data? So whilst Adobe was finding out what you were reading, all the people around you on the network couldn't. Uh, And apparently they have now decided that maybe they ought to do something about that. So it seems they'll still collect the data. Uh, I'm not sure that that's up for argument, but uh, they will at least try and pass it back to themselves in a secure fashion.
0: Well, at least that seems like a small victory. Uh, your, your point of metadata, I think, is uh, largely is misunderstood by a lot of people out there, even a lot of security folks. I'm reminded of a particular slide from an Electronic Frontier Foundation presentation last year, uh, which basically said, you know, talking about metadata uh, and giving an example that, uh, you know, the they, being whomever is monitoring you, know you spoke with an I- HIV testing service, then your doctor, then your health insurance company in the same hour, but they don't know what was discussed. I think uh, that's a very powerful statement. And those of us who do value some privacy probably are a little bit disappointed that Adobe is is taking so much information off of us, uh, even if it is for uh, the purposes of remuneration. Yeah, well said, John.
1: You know, it sounds like it doesn't matter. Maybe it doesn't. But the only way you can be absolutely sure that metadata doesn't matter is if you don't collect it in the first place.
0: Correct. And... As with a lot of stories, what's old is new again. Uh, we just wrote about this on Naked Security. As a matter of fact, you just wrote about this on Naked Security. We've got the return of the Android SMS virus, Selfmite. Can you give us a brief summary of what Selfmite is?
1: Yes, the, the original variant, Selfmite A, got its name because it appeared to be a you know a freebie self-timer app for taking selfies. It looks like the same guys are back with version B. It's not a self-timer anymore. It's pretending to be a, the Google Plus app. So, you know, it's got a legitimate-looking icon. But the same story. It will generate SMSs. It sends out slightly fewer than last time. Maybe that's to try and fly under service provider's radar or something. We don't know. And the idea is, once again, you click on the link, and that infects you, and then you send it to the next five guys, and so on. This time it's more aggressively geared towards making money for the crooks. Uh, when, when we tried it out, we got two icons dropped onto our homepage. One, uh, if you clicked it would install an app that gave you access to an alternative Android marketplace. And the other icon took us to an ad, a paid ad, which tried to encourage us to sign up for, you know, one of those SMS services. It's only 60 cents a day. But it kind of bills you 60 cents a day until the end of time if you're not careful. So definitely the crooks are figuring that if they can get enough of these messages out and enough people click on the icons, then they will at least generate some revenue. There's a good chance that they're able to make what is essentially money for nothing.
0: Reminds me of the old fax machine spams of uh, days gone by. Now, why are they choosing to use you know, Google Plus as a what would look like a vehicle for this? Does it have anything to do with um, potentially users in China not having access to such a thing?
1: That was my assumption, since this, this seems to be geared at the Chinese marketplace. There isn't Google Play there. So, of course, that means that Android users in China almost certainly have allow apps from unknown sources enabled so that this malware can actually work there. And, you know, I suppose the Google Plus app it's something that you don't necessarily have. Um, you've got to go and get it from somewhere. And here's one of your friends saying, hey, here's a, here's an easy way to get it.
0: Now, in terms of preventing infections like this, obviously, if you install a product like Sophos antivirus and security for Android, that can go a long way. Can you give uh, our listeners a couple other tips that maybe they'd want to follow?
1: Yes, obviously, we would say install our antivirus. And indeed... We block the SMS coming in because it's got a dodgy link. We, if you tried to click the link, we'd block the link going out because we filter the web requests as well. And if you did manage to download or sideload the malicious APK, it would warn you and say you don't want to do that. But the other obvious tip is if you can, and you know I know this might be difficult for listeners in China who don't have access to Google Play, try and live without that unknown sources enabled, or at least if you're going to enable it, turn it on while you go to an alternative Android app marketplace that you trust, and when you've installed the app or apps you want, go and uh, disable that feature again so that you can't accidentally install stuff that doesn't come from Google Play. One of the problems is that, that allow apps from unknown sources, that's the only granularity you've got. You either stick to the Play Store, or it's sort of open slather for all other marketplaces and ways of getting apps. You can't say, well, I here are three alternative markets that I like. I want to enable those and block all others. It's nice that Android has that open side like the iPhone doesn't. It might be nice if you could you know, drive a little bit more down the middle of the road than having to stick to one side or the
0: other. So if our friends from Google are listening today, consider that a feature request, I guess. All right. So that was Sophos Security chat Chat 169 for the 15th of October, 2014. If you enjoyed this podcast, there are plenty more at soundcloudcom security. And until next time, stay secure.